Father, as we come to your word today, we pray that our hearts would be open to you. Uh, we ask that your word speak to us uh, in ways only it can. Um, it is a living and active word, we've learned. It is sharper than any two-edged sword and uh, able to reach into our lives and change us. And that's what we want. We pray this in Jesus' name. Last May, Charlie Daniels preached a sermon at his hometown on the National Day of Prayer. Yes, this was Charlie Daniels of the Charlie Daniels Band. And what he said pretty well explains why we're doing this What is the Truth sermon series this fall. This is some of what Daniels said. He said, I didn't come here today to attend a social event or to talk about meaningless things or to make points with the community that I love so much. I will make no attempt at humor or trivialities. My mission here today is to come together with my brothers and sisters in the body of Jesus Christ to plead with our Creator to give America another chance. It is not my intention, he said, to offend any person or to point an accusing finger at any group or ideology, or, and it is not my aim to judge anyone. I have no right to judge. I am a sinner whose only hope is in the boundless mercy of Almighty God and in the blood of His Son, Jesus. In my 75 years on earth, America, he said, has fallen from a God-fearing nation where family and fidelity were honored to a nation which our own president says is no longer a Christian nation and where promiscuity and adultery are accepted as given. We have come from a nation of doers to a nation of takers and a society so permissive we try to utter a word of criticism. Uh, we fear to utter a word of criticism against the vilest of social practices because we're afraid of seeming out of touch with the times and being shunned as a fuddy-duddy who doesn't understand the new morality. Well, there is no new morality. There's only one morality, and it was passed down to mankind by the word of Almighty God, and He changes not. Toward the conclusion of His message, He said. America, the farther we drift from God, the more lost we become. And we have a decision to make. Are we going to continue down this path to certain destruction? Are we going to turn back to our only true hope? Do we take God's word seriously, or is it, as some would have you believe, just an old and ancient man-made writing that is no longer relevant in our world today? Now, Charlie Daniels is right. We have a decision to make, don't we, as a country? We have a decision to make as individuals. We have a decision to make as a country. Now, we can't make the decision for everyone else, but we can make it for ourselves, and then we can try to influence the people of our community to make a similar decision. And that is a decision to discover the truth that God has revealed to us in his word and in his world. We need to embrace the absolute truth as the wisest the most prudent thing we could possibly do at a time like this. Why? Because going with the world's thinking is pure foolishness. You can see where it will get us. Having discovered already in this series of messages that there is such a thing as truth which never changes, we have come to the conviction that the Word of God, the Bible, is God's revelation of Himself and how we can best live in this world. So now we are returning week after week to this word and to the truth of everything around us so that we can discover about some 
of the most important aspects of life. What, what is true? What is right? What is, what is the thing we need to know and to believe? And this morning, we want to see what God's Word says about human sexuality. What is the truth about sexuality? Now, some would prefer that we just avoid this topic. It's just a little too uncomfortable, but we really can't. Robert Marsh was right when he said, it's really ironic that in our society, we are completely surrounded by sexual images, sexual talk, sexual humor, and sexual education. But no one wants to talk about it. And when the church doesn't talk about it, it's more than irony. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for the church to keep mute about sex because if the church is silent, if God's input about sexuality is not heard, then we are all left to fumble around on our own. And if the church does not talk about sex, then all our children are going to hear about it is what they pick up from Hollywood or their schools, and they're equally misinformed and screwed up friends. Now, that's a pretty harsh way of saying it, but the reality is if the church doesn't speak about this, if the church doesn't say, what does God's word say about sex and sexuality, we're left wondering and we're left kind of floundering out in this world where many, many different ideas are there, and many of them are ungodly and uh, not true. Well, I want you to know several things about sex and sexuality today. First of all, I want you to know that sex is a gift from God. It has several aspects to that. The first is a gift of procreation or reproduction. All creatures reproduce after their kind. It's God's way of keeping humanity on earth. <laughs> and so far it's worked pretty good because we're up to about 7 billion people. So apparently from 2 people to 7 billion it's doing alright. There's also a gift of intimacy, however. This act is the greatest act of intimacy two people can enjoy. Physically, it is the closest we can be to someone else. But there is much more. In this intimacy, as we talk about this, in the right context, in the context of a loving couple pledged to each other for life, this intimacy is more than physical. It's also emotional. It's psychological at the deepest level as they share life together. In marriage, sexual union is letting our guard down and sharing our heart and soul with our husband or wife. So the intimacy of this sexuality is, is profound and deep. This is also a gift of pleasure. Tony alluded to that when he mentioned the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. And we shouldn't discount or criticize this as some religious groups have done. Some have said, no, the only reason for this is procreation or reproduction. That's the only thing God had in mind. Obviously, when you read the Song of Songs, there is more to that. And this is an expression of sexual pleasure between a husband and his wife even though some Bible teachers want to say the only thing that's talking about is Christ in the church. I've got a book in my library that I save just because I think it's kind of absurd, you know? Just uh, say it's only about that. It's only about that. And so they read into all these beautiful things about the beauty of their sexual relationship and say it's only about the church. Listen to chapter 2, just a few words. Like a lily among thorns is my darling among the maidens. Like an apple tree among the trees of the forest is my lover among the young men. I delight to sit in his shade, and his fruit is sweet to my taste. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field. Do not arouse or waken love until it so desires. 
I'm not going to read anymore because it gets a little bit too graphic. But some of you are going to read the Song of Songs this afternoon because now you've got a taste of that. I just want you to know that God gave the gift, this powerful gift of sex and sexuality to us for several reasons. And we need to rejoice in that. We need to, to celebrate that and thank God that he's, he sees that. God has reserved this gift for married people, for married couples alone to enjoy. How many people act as if they know better than God? So they go ahead and they have sex with someone they're not committed to in a lifelong relationship, thinking selfishly that sex is about what they can get from their experience. God's way, as he thinks of the gift of intimacy and of pleasure, is for us to mutually give these things to one another within the setting of a lifelong commitment. And that brings us to the second major thing, which you've probably guessed by now, is that marriage is the only proper, the only legitimate setting for sexual relations. The gift of sex is not to be squandered or taken lightly. Tremendous heartache, damage, a lot of pain can result when people think sex is only about a few minutes of physical pleasure. Outside of marriage, Sex is condemned by the Bible. Outside of marriage, it is destructive because there is no permanence in the relationships. And when the relationships break down and people separate, they leave bits of themselves with that other person that they're no longer even connected to. They leave parts of themselves that only their husband or wife should know. And God doesn't want you or me to suffer any more in this life than we need to. So he's put up certain fences in our life. And marriage is the fence for our sexuality. Within, within this, the boundaries of this fence, there's tremendous joy and enjoyment. But outside of that is pain. Outside marriage, sex is condemned. A Christian author, Joyce Landorf, wrote a book that's called Tough and Tender, What Every Woman Wants in a Man. And what I wanted to point out was something that she tells this story of a guy that her husband worked with. He was a guy named George. She calls him that. He worked at the same bank that her husband did. And George had been recently divorced. He was leading a lifestyle of sexual liberation now that he's single again. And if anybody looked like the most enviable California bachelor in banking, it was George. He had, he had this beautiful beach apartment overlooking the Pacific Ocean. He had beautiful women coming and going. No hassle sex, night after night, from everyone what they thought. And most, most men would have thought that George had it made. But what did George think? Well, one afternoon, George came up to her husband's desk, and he haltingly said, um, could I talk to you about something? And then as nearly as her husband, Dick, can remember, this is what George related. He said, you know, Dick, I've, I've really got it made. I'm free from the attachments of marriage. I've got this great place at the beach, and I go to bed with one sexy gal after another. I come and go as I please, and, and I do my own thing. But something is really bothering me, and I can't figure it out. Every morning as I get dressed for work, I look into the mirror, and I think, what was last night's sexy little game all about? Sure, the girl was good looking. She was good in bed. She left this morning without bugging me, but is that all there is to life? And I ask myself, is this lifestyle, if it is really what every guy thinks he wants, why am I so depressed? Why do I feel a cold nothingness all the time? And then George stopped and leaned closer 
and quietly continued, I know the guys here think it would be fantastic to have this kind of liberated freedom, but honestly, Dick, I hate this life. And George sat back and paused a few seconds and then wistfully added, you know what I'd really like? He said, I'd like to go home tonight, smell dinner cooking, hug my wife hello, and spend the evening telling her and showing her how much I love her. I'd like to go to bed with her and not have to prove my virility, not have to sexually perform above the call of duty, but just give her love and go to sleep knowing that she'd be there in the morning. Well, what is the truth about sex? Here's one of the truths. Sex is to be reserved for marriage. God knows what he's talking about. Marriage is between one man and one woman, period. There are no other, other ways to describe it. This is God's clear teaching in the Old Testament and the New. Marriage is first spoken of in Genesis 2 at the creation of Eve, Adam's wife. And so we're going to read from chapter 2 of, of Genesis. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and he closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife are both naked, and they felt no shame. Hmm. Jesus reinforced this very point. In his ministry, he quoted these verses. He quoted that last part of that. He says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one, Jesus said. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So he put his blessing upon this and said, this is what God created. This is how it is to be. The question had been coming up, what about divorce? What about remarriage and all that? So this is God's plan. And we don't have the right to redefine marriage. No matter what our states may say, no matter what our courts may say, this is a big problem for our country already, as you know. And it's, I think it's going to get bigger before, before it's over. Uh, we live close to Washington, D.C. The mayor's office in Washington, D.C. has a department that promotes gay and lesbian rights. Mayor Vincent Gray has gone on record in favor of legalizing marriages between same-sex couples. Last January, he said this. I want you to listen carefully to this quote. He says, As a longtime supporter of the LGBT community, I am proud to join the over 75 mayors from across the nation who have joined Mayors for the Freedom to Marry to help advocate for marriage for gay and lesbian couples in the United States. Now listen carefully. These loving and committed couples for far too long and laws, uh, wait, wait, 
Let me start over. These loving and committed couples have been prevented from sharing in the critical safety net of protections associated with marriage for far too long. And laws preventing gay marriage people from marrying are both unjust and harmful to any society that values family, commitment, and stability. Now, I read that and I thought, what? In the same breath, he's talking about values, family values, and stability, and commitment, and stability, and uh, what is good for society. But then he promotes what is, in many cases, the opposite of these things. And by the way, our president, Barack Obama, supports this effort to redefine marriage. So does former Virginia Governor Tim Kaine, who is running for the Senate. Now, these are not facts you don't know about, but this is the world we live in, and these are the things that are being put upon us. The right to legally marry has already been extended to homosexuals in several states, not by the people, but by the legislature or by the courts of those states. And the subject is now up for vote in three states this November, Maryland being the closest one to us. It's called question six on their ballot. Many would have us believe this redefinition is simply about choice, that people have a right to choose who they want to love and be in love with. And I suppose that's true in one way. You can choose whatever you want to do, even if it's wrong. But does that freedom of choice make it right? Does it make it good? Does it make it what God wants? Does that freedom of choice mean that the rest of society has to endorse your choices? Somewhere a line has to be drawn, and God has drawn it. Otherwise, this idea of freedom of choice can keep moving the line further and further down, can it? Or if someone decides someday that they want to, they want to marry two or more people, why it's to prevent that from happening, because they have the freedom to do that, they have a right, we have to endorse that right. What if somebody wants to marry a child? What if some guy wants to marry his sister? <laughs> where do we draw the line then? Once we've said, doesn't matter where the line is, we'll just go with what is the prevailing opinion today. And what same-sex couples are asking to do is not to exercise their right to be together, but to be married. And marriage has always been between a man and a woman. Traditional marriage provides the environment in which children are to be raised to adulthood, and God created what marriage is at the beginning and has never changed his mind. So we don't have the right to redefine that. Now, even though it's a sensitive subject, I want to move on to one other thing. I need to make another point that goes along with this, and that simply is that homosexuality is a sin. It is forgivable. It is forgivable as every other sin. But it is a sin, nonetheless. Homosexuality cannot be justified. It cannot be excused. And I know this is a hard teaching to accept in some ways because all of us have family or friends that uh, are living this lifestyle. But the Bible has spoken. God has spoken. Leviticus 18.22 says, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. Another large passage of Scripture we want to look at this morning is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So I'd like you to follow along there. Starting in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. 
And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is uh, permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So I, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, it would take us a long time to kind of dissect that whole long passage. But I want you to see several things. First of all, at the beginning, he gives this list of all the things that would keep us out of the kingdom of God. All of the, the not just a one, one action, but a lifestyle that would, would keep you from being in the kingdom of God. And he talks about a bunch of different things. Two of them apply to what I'm making a point about right now here. One is the male prostitute. The other one is homosexual offender. In Corinth and throughout the Roman Empire, cult prostitution was a huge problem. Now, we are not aware of that. Uh, we, don't, we don't have those kinds of services in our churches today. But back then, they did. And in a fertility cult, the idea was for you to have someone at the temple where you could go and have sex with, and that would somehow give the idea to the gods and goddesses what they should do with your crops, <laughs> that they should bless you, that they should, should make your, your crops grow like they've never grown before. And that was the idea behind it. And for centuries, this is how people worship their gods and goddesses. It was part of, of, of what they did, and that's why they called them fertility cults. And this is the practice that was going on in Corinth that Paul's referring to when he condemns the shrine prostitutes, both male and female, that were there. And he, he puts them on this list, the male prostitutes. Homosexual offender is simply someone who practices homosexuality. But I want you to notice Two important things. First of all, these are not the only two items in the list. A bunch of other things. There's slandering, and there's, there's uh, people that are cheating out other people, and there's adultery, and there's immorality, and, and all kinds of things that are part. They're all lumped together. So to, to isolate two things and say, this is the thing God was really speaking about, that's wrong. It's a wrong attitude. The second thing I want you to note, very emphatically, is that all of them are forgivable. All of them can be overcome. It doesn't matter what your lifestyle has been before Christ. It doesn't matter what choices you've made. It doesn't matter how, how uh, depraved you were. Paul says, and that is what some of you were. That's where you used to be. That's how you used to live. But in Christ, you have been given a new life. You've been given a second chance. And you're cho choosing better things now with your life. All of them can be overcome. Even though God's law says that homosexuality is a sin, I want you to understand that as a church, we don't hate homosexuals. 
We don't hate people of that in that lifestyle. We agree that it's a sin, but we don't hate the sinners. No more than, than we agree that, that lying is a sin, but we still love liars. We still love the people that are caught by that particular sin. Nor do we live in fear of homosexuals. We, we are sometimes uh, described wrongly as homophobic. You know, we have this fear of this. But we're not afraid of that. We love the people that are caught by that lifestyle. We hate the sin. We love the sinner. And we are to deal with this sin as Jesus dealt with sin. Jesus said in John 8 to a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery, he said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. That's the idea. That's the attitude behind it. I'm not condemning you for what you've done. This is wrong. God has spoken against it. But now choose something better. Live the way God wants you to. Some will say in our society that we should just leave this whole topic alone. Leave the homosexuals alone. They're born that way. They can't help themselves. In fact, there's a church in our area, in the D.C. area, that teaches that you have to live that lifestyle if that's how you were born because that's the only way you can honor God is to be a homosexual. And it's kind of a convoluted argument there, you know, that if God made you that way, then you have to do it. Uh, and otherwise, you're not honoring him and you're not being true to yourself. And there's no evidence to support that idea at all. There is no homosexual gene, no matter what people say. And a person's environment, how they were raised, maybe how they were, uh, uh, you know, what kind of a family dynamic they had going on there, what kind of influence they had early on in their life, were they abused, were other things happening as part of that early life. These are huge factors in the sexual lifestyle that they choose. But we must remember, homosexuality is a choice. Otherwise, God would not condemn it as sin, a sin that must be repented of. So this issue is not going to go away. And if we had to predict the future, we say it's probably going to get worse. Our country is now a place where in our movie theaters and our televisions, we are constantly influenced to accept homosexuality as normal and every bit as good as heterosexuality. In our country, homosexuality is viewed as normal and anyone who differs with that view is labeled a hate monger. And recently, uh, groups like the Family Research Council were blacklisted as a hate group, along with the Aryan Nation and Nazi skinheads. You know, put in the same lump. You know, put in put in the same category. These are hate mongers because they say homosexuality is a sin. Well, I guess we're in that camp too, because that's what God has said. And they say that the Bible has it wrong, just like it had it wrong on slavery and women's rights. And it is portrayed as antiquated literature that should be disregarded as myth and outdated. But you know what? God's word doesn't change. God has spoken. God has said what is true, what is right, what is good. It is as true today as it ever was. We can't change what God said. But it can change us. That's the point. It can change us. One final point I want to make this morning is simply this that this powerful gift of sex and sexuality must be used responsibly and with great care. We must recognize how deeply into our inner selves sexual sins run. This is what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 6 when he says, don't you know that you have the Spirit of God in you and when you, as, as a body living for God, unite that body with a prostitute, 
it doesn't work. That's not right. You can't put God with that. You can't put the Spirit of God with that. These sexual sins are, are sins against yourself, not just against the people that you're in these relationships with. Our sexuality is such a, a powerful, such a pervasive gift that when we misuse it, we create profound problems. When someone ignores or rebels against God's law about our sexuality, they do so at great risk to themselves and to the people around them. When someone gets into sexual promiscuity, they begin living that lifestyle. It has all kinds of repercussions, all kinds of damage left in the wake of that. When somebody begins a homosexual lifestyle and they get trapped into that and they spend years from one relationship to another, or maybe in the same, which sometimes happens, they find that they are in a very difficult lifestyle to leave. The pull on their life is often like an addiction. And it must be broken with great effort and support from other people. So, you know, I'm glad for ministries like Exodus International that, that helps people involved in homosexuality to leave that lifestyle because it is a very difficult thing sometimes. So we need to be understanding. We need to have an attitude of love and, and of compassion for people that are, are, are trapped in lifestyles that are against what God said to do. When God has spoken against any of our sinful choices, he will also give us the power to overcome them and to make the right choice in the future. God knows what works and what doesn't. And whenever we listen to him and obey him, things go better for us. When we ignore him, when we disobey him, they don't. It's really that simple. People tend to play all sorts of games with their sexuality. Young people are eager to learn about and to enjoy sexual things as soon as they can. And they've got their hormones kind of working against them as well. <laughs> Just encouraging that. Their, their peers are encouraging that. I remember guys in the locker room bragging about their sexual exploits when I was in middle school. And I remember thinking, wow, they're way ahead of me. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do? What choices am I supposed to make in my life? On top of that, uh, the whole society now is encouraging sexual freedom and playing down all the risks involved in that. We must be honest and recognize that we are dealing with a very powerful thing here. Our sexual desires run deep. They run strong. Why else would people be willing to risk everything for a few minutes of pleasure? Things work best when you use them as they were designed. Man and woman were designed to enjoy sex within the context of marriage. God knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing when he says to reserve sexual intimacy for our husband or our wife, for that marriage relationship we will one day enter. Young people, listen to that because you will save yourself a lot of heartache if you will listen carefully. You play around with this. You, you try and think you know better. There will be damage that will come. One day, a teenage boy and his grandfather went fishing. They're out on the lake alone in this boat, and somehow the, the old man started talking about how times have changed and, and how people are, are different than they were when he was growing up. And he started talking about how carefree people are in their relationships and how people are moving from one person to another and having sex with them and everything. And he just kind of frustrated about the whole thing. Well, his young grandson picked up on this. He started talking about you know, where, where things were in his generation and, and the various problems and now all the news about the sexually transmitted diseases going around. And, and he said, finally, he said, Grandpa, he said, uh, 
you know, they didn't really have a lot of problems with all these diseases back when you were growing up, did they? And Grandpa said, well, no, not, not nearly as much. And he said, well, then what did you guys use for safe sex? And Grandpa said, a wedding ring. <laughs> a wedding ring. The difference that our nation has forgotten is that God has said, God has spoken clearly what sexuality is about. He's put it within the bounds, within the fence of marriage. And he said, if you'll listen to me, if you'll obey what I say, if you'll hear what I say and acknowledge that and obey that, your life will go much better. This is one of those truths that God has spoken clearly to. We ignore it uh, to our own, <laughs> our own risk, our own damage, uh, all those repercussions that we don't want in our lives. Not only us, but our children and our grandchildren can be affected if we don't hear God out on this one. So I pray uh, for you right now that you will listen and you will obey. Lord, let's, let's uh, just be on our hearts. Uh, be with us. We ask you, Lord, to, to strengthen each person here today. I don't know all their stories. I don't know what's going on even today. Um, if it's true of most places in America... We have a variety of things here. There are people that are, are uh, in relationships they shouldn't be, or there are people thinking about things they shouldn't be. Uh, there are young people that are, are experimenting that shouldn't be. Lord, you have spoken clearly. There are people that are uh, feeling like they were choosing something, a freedom of uh, their right, something that, that is uh, theirs to do as they please. But now... Uh, they, are, they are bearing the consequences of those choices. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for those that are, are trapped uh, in relationships or trapped in lifestyles that they don't know how to break. And I pray that through the power of Jesus Christ, we could truly be set free. If there's someone here today uh, that is, is uh, just overwhelmed by their personal circumstances, I pray that you would touch their life today that you would help them to see what, what uh, is needed. If there's somebody that is troubled about a family member or a friend, I, I'm sure that these uh, thoughts today have, have stirred up thoughts and feelings about our friend or a family member uh, that, that really is, is struggling. I pray that you would use them somehow to speak uh, in kindness and in truth uh, what they need to hear. They would, would be couched in love and and in compassion, uh, but that your truth would be would uh, be spoken into their lives. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that we could encourage one another. We could teach our young people and our children what is right and good and true, and that that would help them to be discerning, would give them wisdom in a society and culture uh, that, that uh, is very ungodly in its approach to these things. And I pray that you would give us... Uh, your guidance from day to day, that your Holy Spirit would touch our lives and help us uh, to make the right choices, and that we would honor you, that we would glorify you through everything uh, that we do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.